Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? You know, we've been studying Genesis. Uh, We started back in January, and we've studied creation, Adam and Eve, the fall, Cain and Abel, Noah, the flood, Nimrod, the Tower of Babel, all of that's been studied already. And so I'm sorry if you missed that, uh, but you can get that material back if you want to see some of that. It's online. We have podcasts and videos. It's all there. You can go back and watch some of this, do the lessons and catch up if you'd like. And where we landed at the end of the summer is studying Abraham's family. We're just kind of getting introduced to him and getting into his space. And right now, uh, we study tonight the story of Abraham, this covenant that God announced when he was 75 years old. And now tonight, he's 99. 25 years later, God says, now let me tell you the rest of the covenant. So for guys that are like, man, God's really taking his time. He's really dragging his feet and you've been waiting for a week. 25 years is a long time. So you might want to think about your complaining on the waiting thing, right? So God made covenants with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and then with all believers through Jesus Christ. And these formed the backbone of the story of the whole Bible. If you ever study the covenants in their fullness, you will really get a completely different view of the Bible. Without these covenants, the Bible really makes no sense. And with them, the Bible's incredibly trustworthy. It's reliable and it's wonderfully hopeful. But equally important, these covenants give God's people a vision, a clear picture of where we're headed what God is doing and the way we should live. So let me briefly talk to you about the idea of covenants as a vision. My vision for my life flooded my mind at Promise Keepers in 1992 when I was a rocking 31 years old and a new father. I had hair like my son Kyle. There was a bunch of it, man. I had hairy legs. I was a different man. So yeah, kind of a little wild though. I was insanely inspired by men of God. I went to this thing, there's 22,000 men. I was so stinking inspired. I heard these guys talk and then I heard them sing all about what Christian men should look like and what we should do. And they made it clear for me that I was to be a good husband and a good father. And I also learned that because my father left at age two, I inherited a relational deficit that would show up later in my behaviors and they were often pretty detrimental. But I also learned this, that Christian men don't live in their past. We get help from other men and we move towards our calling. Man, I've never wanted my sons to grow up without a dad. I know what that was like. And I'm like, it's not going to happen with my boys. So I was extremely motivated when I was at Folsom Field at Promise Keepers. I wanted to be a good father. And the men that were leading that weekend made it so crystal clear. If I wanted to be a great dad, I had to first be a really good husband. Boy, did they make that point. And if I wanted to be a great dad and a great husband, I had to be sold out for Jesus. They made that point. I left Folsom Field in Colorado knowing exactly what I had to do. I had a clear vision for my life. So let me ask you this. What is the vision that drives your life and your important decisions? What is that vision for you? God out of nowhere spoke to Abraham numerous times and told him what to do. Abraham obediently followed every single time God spoke to him. In Genesis 17, what we studied tonight, God spoke to Abram and made it very clear he was now going to be a father with sons that were going to be kings of nations. 
He's telling him this. He's like, listen to me. Your kings are coming from you, man. Nations are coming from you, brother. You're going to have a wife that's revered as a queen, not as an infertile old lady. This huge piece of land called Israel is going to be yours, and it's bigger than what you think. This thing's going to be unbelievable, and I'm going to live with you here forever. That's what's going to happen. He's got to be like, what are you talking about? So, like, this is what I'm telling you. I'm promising you that. This is what's going to happen. He had to be stunned because he's thinking, I've got this infertile wife. I got a son from a concubine wife, and I got a bunch of animals. I'm roaming all over Israel trying to find a place to graze them, and I'm living in tents. And you're telling me I'm going to be that? And he's like, that's exactly what I'm telling you. God cast a powerful new vision for Abram and his family. And that vision was given as a promise. It was a covenant. So he would believe it and live it boldly and then share it with the world, which he did because we're reading about it. So he clearly shared it. Tonight, we're going to explore the people, the promises, and the sign of this covenant that God made with Abram. And I'm praying tonight that when you leave, you're going to have a deep desire to pursue a compelling vision God has for your life. Let's get started with a word of prayer, guys. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for this time. Thank you for these brothers. Thank you for this time we have together, your Holy Spirit being with us, Lord. I'm praying that these guys hear you speak and they get a sense of how the vision they have of their self can be what you see and not what they see, Lord. Father, help them embrace a vision for their life that's just powerful and compelling. Lord, I pray I don't get in the way. My words, my just the way I am. Help me not get in the way, Lord. And Lord, I pray their phones won't get in the way. Help these guys shut it down for 20 minutes now and give you the very best of who they are so they can hear you speak. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen. Guys, let's look first at the people of this covenant. God announced himself as the originator of this covenant. God said he's El Shaddai, which most people believe means almighty. And of course, almighty means he has the power to do anything. And in this case, God was telling Abram, I have the power to produce children in you two old people. The value of that covenant rests in the power of the name of the person making the promises. Therefore, the most important name on this covenant is God's name. In fact, 12 times God says to Abram, I will, making it crystal clear who's in command of this covenant. In John 17, 11, Jesus prayed, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me. The name of God is the only name that carries unlimited power. And because God signed this covenant, we, like Abram, should assign great value to this covenant, guys. God gives names, too, to each of the family members that are listed in this covenant. Abram became Abraham because he was made the father of many, many nations. He's essentially being called a king at this point by God. And Sarai was named Sarah, because she became the mother of many nations. She's being told she's a queen. And God gave their son a name, Isaac, not from his mother's side and not from his father's side. It was God who named Isaac. These new names said the identity and future of these people had to be radically changed. God changed the identity of Abram and Sarah so they would themselves believe in God's promises. They would see themselves differently. It's very telling when you spend time with men and hear their names and the ones they choose for themselves, which I do a lot of. I often hear names like fake, fraud, sex addict, unattractive, or failure. 
And we do say that a lot about ourselves, you guys. But as followers of Jesus, these are not how God sees you. He does not see you that way. God's vision for your life would be better described by these types of names. Good friend, loyal, loving husband, great father, leader, helper, and a good listener. How do the names you call yourself help you see the vision you actually carry for your life? The names you hear in your head should help reveal your real vision, not the fake Christian one that you tell people when you come to church, but the one you actually believe about yourself. And I'm hoping tonight what you really see will give you motivation to change it so it will match more with what God actually sees. The covenant with Abram had three promises, kingly descendants, land in perpetuity, and a life with God forever. Let's first look at the descendants. God chose Seth, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, and many others. And Jesus said to God in his prayer in John 17, 6, I have revealed to you, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, Father, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. These two texts make it clear God chooses who will carry his covenant, not us. God promises to Abraham that from him will come nations and kings. And one of those kings was David. God promised David in 2 Samuel, he said this, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. I will establish this kingdom and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jesus is that descendant of David that fulfills this covenant. And men who believe in Jesus, which is us, are part of this very covenant chosen by God. In Galatians 3.29, Paul states clearly, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Men, we as Christians are members chosen by God of this covenant. Next, God's covenant with Abram includes the land of Israel. Today, the land is in fact occupied by the sons of Abraham. And they're all arguing over whose land it is, but it's all still his son's. The throne of the kingdom of God and the new heaven and new earth will be in fact in Israel. In the final days, this planet's going to be wiped clean with fire. The scriptures make that clear. And they also make this clear. It will then be resurrected back to the design of the Garden of Eden. Genesis 17, Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21 all describe something similar. An everlasting land where God will reign with his people on this planet, the one we live on now. And this covenant describes heaven because heaven is where God lives. So our heaven will be on this resurrected planet in our resurrected bodies with God forever. That's got to get you excited. He's telling Abraham that right now. And he's telling you, you're in this covenant. This is what it's going to look like for you. And the last thing he says is God promises to be the God of Abraham and his descendants forever. This is a promise of eternal life with God. And what is it connected to? It's connected to the faith of Abraham. And it's not his works or his ability to keep the covenant. He's not done any of that yet. God's saying this covenant binds you to everlasting life with me because you're right with me today, now, not what you do in the future. So our, our salvation started, gentlemen, the day Adam failed. And it was made very clear that through Abraham, we would see eternal life. Gentlemen, the gospel is in the Old Testament. That's cool. 
People often say, you don't see heaven or the gospel in the Old Testament. I just showed you both. They're there. Woo. God required Abraham to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. This is going to get real now. God required circumcision for all the men of his family as well. And Abraham obeyed God. He was circumcised and then he trimmed up all his men along with him. This was a painful act of obedience, providing, proving his absolute unwavering trust in God. God chose circumcision for a host of reasons. I spent so much time studying this. And it's so trite what so many people say, but there are some really good people that talk about this. Here's some good reasons. First, it tells Abraham's male descendants they are to be separated from a corrupt and evil world. That's number one. This act will separate you from a corrupt and evil world. This will make you different. Second, it symbolizes the removal of sexual sin that grips most men. He knows. God knows. And third, circumcision is a bloody procedure reminding us that God used the blood of animals, just did it in chapter 15, and ultimately the blood of Jesus to seal these covenants. Blood seals covenants. God's also making a strong statement to fathers and sons. Listen, fathers were required to make sure their sons were circumcised on the eighth day. That was their responsibility. Therefore, fathers were to teach their sons about circumcision. They were to help their boys know why God claimed that part of their body and not women. God created sex and wants men to experience it within the boundaries he set forth. Connect the dots, guys. God wants men to give up authority of this area of their life to him. Our sexuality is insanely powerful and needs to be controlled by one person and one person alone, and that's God. What role should you play in making sure the young men around you understand their sexual accountability as Christians? We have a responsibility to speak up, gentlemen. This is what God calls for. God knew that then as he does now that male sexuality has and will continue to cause much of the suffering in this world. Listen to this data, you guys. Men spend $5.7 billion annually paying for prostitutes. Men spend $97 billion globally on pornography. 81% of women report being harassed sexually by a man. 81%. That's the ones who've spoken up. 25% of women at college have been sexually assaulted by men. There are roughly 27 million cases of human trafficking globally, of which 92% were by men wanting sex. 74% of men would cheat on their wife if they knew they wouldn't get caught. 37% of marriages in 2019 ended in divorce, and it was due to infidelity. I could go on and on and on. It's very clear from the overwhelming data that our sexuality as men significantly affects our behavior, and it is often expressed in very evil ways. And sadly, most of us believe that Christian men have their sexuality under control. I've been working with men for a long time now, and especially Christian men, and I can tell you this is absolutely not true. Many Christian men struggle with their sexuality. So if you have that, welcome to the team. This is, this is what guys struggle with. The, one of the issues we have is we don't have a safe place to talk about it. 
Can you imagine, just think of this, a pastor or an elder sharing with anyone in his congregation even one of his improper sexual thoughts? Can you imagine that? Social media and a cell phone in the hands of one person in that moment could destroy that man for a lifetime. I had a guy that came here every year for seven years. He was a pastor out in Montana, and we'd come here to meet with me and a group of men because it was the only place he felt safe. He couldn't be safe in his own hometown. We're hoping Heart of a Man could be a place to share your sexual issues. I take serious risks times, and I have, sharing my failures, and many of you have heard me share it, and it causes me some fear at times. And my sons are like, Dad, you sure you should be saying that? I'm like, I got to be open. I got to be vulnerable. If I'm asking you to be vulnerable, then I have to be too. But being vulnerable exposes you. But that's why we ask guys to take very seriously keeping our conversations highly confidential. We need to trust each other and have a safe place to talk about these difficult topics. So I'd ask you to consider these questions with a few men, maybe even later tonight. How often each week are sexual thoughts on your mind? How often do you sexualize thoughts about women when you see them? And how often for you guys that are married does your sex drive actually cause you to mistreat your wife? Questions like these are the ones we need to talk about, guys, because when we do, we can find help and we can get to a place where we're stronger. My last thought on circumcision is that God made circumcision an outward symbol of the inward circumcision of your heart that is required to be a son of God. Deuteronomy 36, Moses speaking, says it so clearly. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him and live. When you were born again, you were given all you need to control your sexuality and your sinful nature. The Holy Spirit entered your soul. He circumcised out the power of sin over you and gave you self-control. A man whose heart has been circumcised by God will have a desire to live a life of purity. Galatians 5, 16 says it clearly. Walk by the spirit and you will not want to gratify the desires of the flesh. For most of us guys, our eyes are what lead us into sexual sin. It's almost always the case. The uncircumcised heart lets those thoughts that come from their eyes just run wild in their head. But the circumcised heart says, stop, I'm not gonna look at this stuff. I'm not gonna look at what gets me sexually aroused. I'm not doing this, not now. And you get control and you stop. That's what a circumcised heart looks like. And circumcised hearts are wise. We seek to help to determine what, the, what are the thoughts that are triggering those emotions that cause me to use sex for comfort and control. Physical circumcision, just like baptism, will not fix the sin in your heart. Both are just signs that a man has submitted to Jesus to allow his heart to be circumcised. If you need help with sexual sin, we can recommend three really good programs. Conquerors Groups, Pure Desire, and Unchained are programs that men in this room right now have gone through and they found great success in those programs. We're here to make the connections when you're ready to do it. This discussion about circumcision should open your eyes to one thing, and that's God's desire to see you free from sexual sin. He wants you liberated from it. What areas your heart need to have God circumcise? Abraham was given four things to do. Walk before God, be blameless, 
keep the covenant and circumcise. None of these commands caused Abraham to be right with God. God declared Abraham righteous 25 years earlier when he believed in his heart that God would give him a son. Circumcision was a way to help remember the covenant and to keep it close to his heart. And I'm sure it made him remember. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When God said, keep my covenant, he was talking about keeping the vision God had given Abraham of his future. Keep it, keep it in your mind's eye, keep it there. Holding on to that vision so it would change his view of himself and that would change how he lives. Then God made his last covenant with us to give us a vision for our life. And that coven was spoken by Jesus. He said these words, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins. God wants us to know with absolutely no doubt that the blood of Jesus at his death was given freely to cover all of our sins. It was the final covenant that eliminated the need for an outward circumcision. And that was predicted by the prophet Jeremiah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The final covenant was given to free us from sin and compel us to follow Jesus, to look at him and to know in our hearts, we can visualize, I can see what he's doing. I can see it with my eyes. The pictures are written so clear in the Bible, the vision of who this man was. And he says, look at that man. You're that guy. Be that guy. Be that guy that loves people patiently. Picture yourself being kind and compassionate. Visualize yourself caring for the sick and loving the hurting. See yourself being generous with all that you have. And we can live free of our obsession with ourselves. Jesus filled us with his spirit, you guys, so we could see a vision of ourselves that looks like him. Sexuality, comfort, greed, and pride were not what controlled Jesus, and they sure as heck are not what's gonna control you. That is not how you were bought and paid for. You're a man of God to look like Jesus, and that is how you will live. You've gotta see yourself that way, though, to do it. In 1992, God filled me with a vision of being a dad who would never abandon his family. That vision has carried me for 31 years. But I got to tell you, there have been so many times I've wanted to follow my own desires. Man, I can't even count them. The money, the sexy women, the powerful people. I was a CEO of a company, man. I was being pulled to all of that stuff. Every time you turned around, it was so stinking compelling. But every time I start to wear those desires in my mind, and you know what I mean, you put them on and you play with them in your head and you just like to feel what, it, and you see yourself in that place. Every time I did that, I could hear this voice saying, Bill, that's not who you are, man. You will not do that because it's not what a man does who loves his wife and his boys. Stop thinking about that garbage. And keep your eyes on who you are. You are a man of God. God's vision has protected me so many times. So many times. On August 17th, just 12 days ago at our strategic summit, we were pushed to figure out how to expand and scale heart of a man. How do we make it bigger? And as it ended, we formed a circle. We were praying. And as we prayed, my eyes closed. 
And as I stood there listening to my sons pray, I could hear that same voice saying, Bill, stop thinking about being big. The vision I gave you was to never abandon your family. You keep being a husband and a father. Love your wife even more and keep leading your sons well. Stop worrying about the size of heart of a man. That's mine anyway. It's not yours. I got done. I said, all right, God, I got it, man. God's vision for my life has kept me from sinning, and it's also kept me from trying to be more than I'm supposed to be. Dear friends, God has a vision for your life. He has spoken it in his covenants, and he's shown it to you in every possible way through the life of his son, Jesus. All you have to decide is if you'll keep this last covenant, keep it, keep it in your heart, and let Jesus circumcise your heart so that you can, in fact, live blameless as you walk before him. Let's pray, guys. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. And thank you for the vision you've given us and your son, Jesus, Lord. Give us a passion to look like him. And put that picture in our mind's eye so we can see ourselves that way because that is who we are. Lord, help us be those kind of men. Help us carry ourselves that way and live out the vision of the covenant you have in us. Thank you, Jesus. God, we love you. Please come back and be with us next week. In your name we pray, amen.